Hello, I'm Rob Condon, director of CMI-TV. Each week I teach a class in our local church called Connecting the Dots of Scripture. And those materials which I teach, we put on the web for anyone to at least review what I have been teaching. I have taught over 53 of these classes and they're all on classesforburian.com on the internet. Now, as I was ready for this current class, I thought about it was time to do really a review or summary of all these lessons that we've been connecting the dots on to this point. And therefore, I thought it would be good to present this summary in a, if you will, sort of a simple overview that anyone could easily follow and better see how God connects the dots of history through kingdoms of this earth. Now, I'd like you to remember that a key to understanding God's plan for history is to recognize that God's sovereignty controls the kingdoms of the world. Why Daniel in chapter 2 in verses 20 to 22 tells us just that. For he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He revealeth the deep and secret things. Now, in thinking about the kingdoms of this earth, I often got confused as to how they fit into God's plan or even how they fit into history. As you probably realized, I tend to think in pictures and charts. I like everything laid out before me so that I can properly understand them. So for this video, I've done just that in my chart on the progression of earthly kingdoms. I believe this chart summarizes much of what we have studied on the kingdoms in God's plan of history. For Psalm 145 kind of summarizes it all in verses 11 through 13. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. These kingdoms are those involved with Israel and the future millennial kingdom on the earth. When we started this series of studies, we began with the Garden of Eden kingdom. Yes, in this first earthly kingdom, God presented a concept of governing that will carry through to the last kingdom on the new earth. Before the first Adam's sin and rebellion, he was really a sub-ruler under God's kingship. That is, God the Father is king over the entire creation. But on the earth, he established the garden and he established the first Adam as his sub-ruler. Now, I'm going to refer to Adam in the garden as the first Adam, for we read in Scripture that the last Adam will be Jesus Christ. That's an important point here. Just as an aside, while Adam in the garden was the first Adam, the scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ is the last Adam. No, there will never be a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth Adam after Jesus Christ. He is the last Adam, and he will be the last ruler for eternity upon the new earth. So, first Adam, uh, before he sinned and rebelled against God, as I said, he was a sub-ruler under God's kingship. And as such, a sub-ruler is called a mediatorial ruler. 
for he is one that rules a people while acting as a mediator between them and the God of creation. Now, mediatorial ruler may be a new term for you, but is very, very fitting as you study the kingdoms of the scriptures. For you see that God has allowed rulers to rule, yes, but always under his sovereignty. Never forget God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit sovereignly rule this entire creation, for there is no power greater than God. See, God is the one who has to answer to no one. There is no power greater than he. Nobody that can stop and say, hold it, you can't do that. No, for God can do all things and is limited only by his righteous character. In God's plan, he needed a place for humanity to dwell with him. That was his goal, to dwell with people. And thus, he uniquely created the earth for mankind. We read in Isaiah 45, verse 18, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it, he created it not in vain, for he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else, said our Lord in Isaiah. In Psalm 115:16, we read, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he hath given to the children of men. So he's created this earth for humanity to dwell on. That's his plan, and that fits in his purpose for history. In Acts 17:26, we again read, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their, that's humanity's, habitation. With Adam's sin, this idyllic kingdom in the garden came to an abrupt end, but it did not change God's plan for history. You see, God's plan was and always has been to create a kingdom where he will dwell with righteous citizens who choose to be part of it and spend eternity dwelling with him. Being a holy God, the citizens therefore must be righteous without sin. But all that the garden did as a result of sin was to bring forth unrighteous people who needed a righteous redeemer to pay for their sins and to justify them before God, to cleanse them so they could be and dwell with a holy, righteous God. That Redeemer, that man, is the last Adam, who became the substitute for all who would accept his sacrifice for them, thereby making them acceptable and righteous before God the Father. Now, prior to the garden, Satan had rebelled against God in his desire to be like the Most High. I would refer you to Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14, where he said that is his whole purpose, is to be like the Most High, to be like God, to imitate God, to be an imitator of God. Therefore, he would have to have his own kingdom, and he needed a place to have that kingdom. Well, the earth was already created. Satan can't create. So he looked upon the earth, he looked upon the kingdom in the garden and thought that could be his kingdom. With 
Adam's first rebellion, God's earthly kingdom was forfeited to Satan. Satan usurped that kingdom and God allowed it for his purposes. Now, in doing that, Satan became, and I'm saying with a little g now, the God of this world. For 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 tells us, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, notice he's the image of God, he's not like God, but he is God, who is the image of God shall shine unto them. Notice the contrast. Satan wants to be like God. The best he can do is create a, a mimicry of God, God's kingdom, and God's plans. But Jesus Christ is the image. That word means the identical. He is not like the Most High. He is the Most High. Now in Ephesians 2 and verse 2, we read also, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. How do we know? Well, it says, the spirit, that's Satan, that now worketh in the children of disobedience. For Satan, as I said, his goal was to be like God, so he has to mimic God. The first place and really his first visible kingdom on earth for Satan was the Tower of Babel. They created that tower to make it to the heavens. Now, they knew they weren't going to build it up to the heavens. What they were trying to do was mimic the fact that God said one day his throne will be on the earth, on the highest point of the earth. Nothing will be higher. Therefore, Satan trying to copy God, knowing that plan ahead, he started building a mountain trying to get his throne and his kingdom centered on the top of the Tower of Babel, always mimicking God. Now, according to God's plan, from the day of the first Adam's disqualification until the coming of the last Adam, Jesus Christ, this world's kingdoms belong to Satan. Now, the next major event in God's plan was the creation of the nation of Israel, beginning with the Exodus. There at Mount Sinai, God began his theocratic kingdom of Israel through a series of mediatorial ruler kings. God would govern the nation as a theocracy. By the end of King Solomon's rule in 930 BC, Israel had divided into two kingdoms, Israel of the north and Judah of the south. By 586 BC, the end of the theocratic kingdom proved that a nation led by unrighteous rulers or kings, unrighteous priests, and unrighteous citizens could never dwell with a holy, perfect, righteous God upon the earth in God's kingdom. That cataclysmic end of the theocratic kingdom came as God chose four Gentile kingdoms to demonstrate that he is sovereign and will accomplish his goal for a nation of righteous people to dwell on the earth with him. The thousands of years of rule by the Gentiles is called the times of the Gentiles. It was named that by the Lord Jesus Christ himself on Mount Olivet, where he declared God's method of creating the true kingdom, ultimate kingdom for his son, Jesus Christ. And that kingdom would be centered 
about Jerusalem. We read in Luke 21, 24, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That's where we get this term, the times of the Gentiles. Notice it says Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles. And that is what has to be kept in mind as you look at history, because it is how Jerusalem is affected by the Gentiles that God does this during the times of the Gentiles. Now, Israel could become independent, could be under someone during that period of time, but it's Jerusalem that must always be looked upon as the fulfillment of this verse of the times of the Gentiles, the subjection of the Gentiles over Jerusalem. Now, the Apostle Paul declares that fulfillment includes the Jews and Jerusalem in Romans 11.25. For there we read, I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, and that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. The first step in this fulfillment was the Babylonian capture of Jerusalem in 586 BC. From that point until the second coming of the Lord, the Jewish people have experienced and will experience God's chastisement from Gentile nations. These give a timeline, these kingdoms, if you will, a timeline of history that begins with the Babylonian Empire, which actually began in 612 BC, continued until the Mede-Persian Empire took over dominion in 538 BC. They were followed by the Greek Empire in 330 BC, took became the world power, and then finally the Roman Empire of 63 BC began and conquered the Greek Empire. Now notice on the chart, I have called them kingdoms, for the scriptures do not identify them or call them empires. Rather, the scriptures call them the kingdoms. In Daniel 8.22, the Mede-Persian Empire is called the kingdoms of the Mede. And in 8.22, it is speaking of the Greeks' kingdom. Therefore, I'm going to follow that through with my chart and in my discussion here and call them kingdoms. And really, historians call them empires. It, that term, they're trying to distinguish the fact that these were world powers at the time, dominant world powers and versus other kingdoms, for there are many kingdoms around, but the historians want to emphasize the empire aspect or the dominance in world history. Therefore, uh, they've used the word empire. We're going to use the biblical word here, kingdom, for they are ruled by a king. Also notice that the Roman Empire had divided into two segments by the 5th century AD with the western portion of the Roman Empire disintegrated into multiple independent provinces and states. Now this was, there were many aspects that caused this to happen, but bottom line is the result of was a total loss of control by a central government through the fourth century and culminated in 476 AD, a date that historians have chose that symbolizes what they said have been the end of that Western division of the Roman Empire. 
The Eastern Division, or Kingdom, continued on until 1453, when Ottoman armies uh, came and battled against Rome and killed the Roman Emperor at the Battle of Constantinople. And most historians would easily say that certainly was the end of the Eastern portion of the Roman Empire. Now, it's very interesting to me because as I study the scriptures and I look at Daniel's dreams, and we'll be talking about them in part two of this video, I see that the statue showing the two legs, then the, the feet and the ten toes, and if you're familiar with prophecy, you know what I'm talking about. If not, watch the next video. I see them as continuous. I don't see any little gap that somehow something ended, like the leg has a big gap in it uh, from the knee to the ankle or something. No, I believe the scriptures is teaching us the fact that the Roman Empire in some form, uh, some morphed versions, has continued from its beginnings of 63 BC until our present day. Now, I, I spent one whole day studying carefully historic records and discussions of historians, and then a couple more days of reading other books. And I find that many historians say, yeah, you know, in many ways, the Roman Empire continues to this day. At the least is its influence in our world, English world's uh, cultures. I did a careful study of saying, how could I see the empire continuing on? And you know, I've only found a short gap where I have some years that I can't quite account and say that's still a form of the Roman Empire. But certainly today we have an embryonic form of that, if nothing else, in the European Union. So the Roman Empire, we have to understand, is a continuous time of the Gentiles and it continues to our very day. Again, I want to point out that the dates for the transfer of world dominion from one kingdom is, is something used by the historians. The transfer of power really occurs over a period of time and was a gradual result, often of economic, military, cultural, political actions that brought about the change of dominant control. Now, during this time of the Gentiles, this period of time does not rule out brief periods of independence for the nation of Israel. For example, the, during the Maccabean era, 164 to 163 BC, Israel was a free nation. Now, the Maccabean family had a falling out and they needed someone to help them resolve who should be ruling Israel. They invited Rome to come in and help them settle their family problem. Well, once Rome came in, guess what? <laughs> they never left. And they took over the nation of Israel. Israel was again temporarily independent because of the first Jewish revolt against Rome that began in 66 AD. In 70 AD, Rome took back Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and by 73 AD ended the independence of Israel as a nation. There was a second Jewish revolt in AD 132 to 135. And then until our modern era, in 1948, Israel became an independent nation, but Jerusalem was not under their control. In 1967, the Six Day War, Israel fought for and conquered and regained Jerusalem. 
but because of the Jewish constitution, they were required to return the Temple Mount to Islamic control because the Constitution of Israel says any land or any site, better to say site, that has religious significance to another religion, Israel must allow that group to control it. And so too today, the temple site is not in the hands of Israel, but is under Jordanian control. Now, this period of history is when the Gentiles are dominant. The times of the Gentiles are when they are dominant world powers. And the people of Israel are either directly subject to them or are controlled indirectly or coerced by them, which is very similar to what we have right today in Jerusalem for world powers, really maintain control in many ways to Jerusalem. And the Temple Mount, as I said, isn't in the control of Israel. Now, until the second coming of Christ, any freedom Israel has had with respect to Jerusalem has been temporary at best. During these times, the Gentiles have dominated Jerusalem, the temple site, and continue to do it till this day. During those times, a threat of Gentile domination over Jerusalem continues and will continue into the future. However, never forget, these Gentile kingdoms have been sovereignly controlled by God. God has planned this all from the foundation of the world. His plan is moving along exactly as he planned it and will culminate when he has decided the time has come. Therefore, it is our God in control. That's well to remember in our day when we start wondering if everything's getting out of control. God is still sovereignly controlled. However, we are still in the times of the Gentiles until Jesus Christ comes back. Now, as I have taught in my previous classes of connecting the dots, we know the ultimate kingdom of God on earth will begin with the millennial rule of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he will descend from heaven and come and stand in the temple site to rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. You'll want to watch my series on Armageddon, in which I show the various phases of the Lord's return to this earth to begin his millennial reign and follow the millennium, the thousand years on earth, the new heavens and new earth will be created and God the Father and God the Son will rule this earth. What a great day that will be. According to Revelation 11 verse 15, we read, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. In our next video, part two, we'll see how God foretold his plan to all who would just simply read it in the scriptures. We will see the four kingdoms, how God designed them and prophesied long before even Rome existed, long before Greek was any kind of empire, that God named these countries, these kingdoms, and said they would be the dominant world powers 
of the times of the Gentiles. So be sure to watch our next video to get a better understanding of the prophecy of these four key kingdoms. And you'll see again, God planned it from the foundation of the world. Now, until we see you at that video, we'll either see you here or in the air. May the Lord bless you mightily.